Workhorse Nation salute. Welcome to Shotgun Saturday, where I take a few of your questions and try to answer them in the best way that I know how. And if you don't like it, well, guess what? I will try much harder next time because I'm a man of the people. So let's do the damn thing. Welcome to Workhorse Radio, a station for the nation where conversation can hopefully give birth to motivation, education, and insight. Rocket fuel to expedite results in your journey and maybe the kick in the pants that you need to take ownership of your life. This would be a sounding board for all things that surround what we call our growth triangle, the foundation of which our brand is built on. This includes the evolution of the coach, evolution of the client, and evolution of the culture. I offer experience, told through stories, messages of wisdom adopted after falling from grace, perspective because having another set of eyes sometimes allow you to see some things you wouldn't otherwise see. Put on your seatbelt, it's about to get real bumpy motherfucker. This is episode 7. You know, each morning I wake up and I think to myself, damn, I should have put out another episode today. And as things get really busy, I just never get to it. And the other day I was thinking, you know, damn, I'm so blessed. I'm so goddamn lucky that that's the process going in in my head each morning. Like, I really do love what I do. And, you know, the fact that I'm, I'm struggling to release more episodes where I just, I just talk about shit that I do every day because I'm actually doing that shit every day is, is kind of a blessing. Uh, I'm surrounded by... By people that I love, you know, I can work 14 hours and not even notice the day pass by. Um, those of you guys are in the community. I want you to know that I love you, man. Like all of you guys, my team, my beautiful yet dysfunctional, functional team. Um, really blessed. I've got a strong circle that I'm riding with right now, and we are making a bigger difference each day. And I'm very, very proud of that. I've got a, a beautiful, healthy family at home. I'm just super grateful, man. And maybe I'm just feeling all the feels because it's, it's the first week of school, but I just, you know, I just want to put that out there. Um, my daughter started high school this week, by the way, which is crazy. Uh, high school is a whole nother ball game, right? Like much more pressure than grade school for the kids, for me. You know, I have to spend some time this weekend sharpening my spear because, you know, high school boys are different. They don't always act right. So I got I to gotta stay on my game and, and stay prepared. My son, my beautiful son, started senior kindergarten this week. And uh, let me tell you, like I was, I was quite nervous because I took him for a haircut um, a few days before school started. And if you know my son, he's got, he's got a, a much flow, almost, almost looks like Mowgli from the Jungle Book. And we chopped his mop and it was a very traumatic experience for him, um, for me. So I didn't know how much he was going to trust me leaving him at school with all these strange kids, you know, like I already cut off all his hair. So I think his faith in me was dwindling, but um, everything was all right. He was excited on the first day of school. He didn't cry, but man, like I, I teared up pretty good. You know, I don't know. I try to I try to hold it together, but I was tearing up pretty bad, like real bad. I just kept thinking, damn, like I forgot my sunglasses in the car can't have all these people seeing me like this um i just looked at him and you know he's got this this backpack that is bigger than he is and his his matching lunch bag is just so heavy he's carrying it with two hands and it just looks like this little grown-up you know like his his big black eyes behind his mask 
and he's like trotting his way into the school like like I can't be there next to him um, and it's a hard feeling to explain to people who don't have kids it drop kicks you you know like right in the fucking heart um, I watched Bambi Titanic the notebook and I didn't shed one tear but the first day of school for Jackson was a very gut-wrenching experience man so kudos to all the parents that had to go through what I did um, on the first day that was some tough business the second day uh, was much better you know I didn't cry everything went smoothly I dropped him off I got back in my car I had the whole morning to figure out what to do with my life and then the third day I cried again so this time though they were not sad tears they were ultimately happy tears um, I get to the front of the building and his teacher is there to meet him gave him a hug and a kiss I told him have a good day and and off he went and I was totally fine but his teacher was like oh Mr. Tran I want to talk to you about Jackson not that okay you know what's what's going on and she says yesterday while the kids were playing outside we looked over and Jackson was sitting on top of another kid and he was punching him in the stomach and I thought oh my god Jesus Christ like I'm I'm so sorry I don't know why he would do that um, he told me that he had to sit in timeout, and then she explained the hands-off policy to him. And you know, I've got a good kid. He's he's got a sweetheart, but he's got that he's got that wild in his DNA. And I explained to her, you know, I, I wrestle with him all the time at home. He wrestles with with my brother, his uncle, with my mom, my dad. You know, he's a little guy, but he play wrestles with full-grown adults. And since COVID, he hasn't really interacted with other kids, so. It might take him a little getting used to with his, his classmates. Um, but I did ask about the other boy. And I said, you know, were they just were they just play fighting? or? And she said, no, the other kid was crying. And so um, at this point, I've got a mask on, uh, you know, because COVID. And, but I have this, like, big shit-eating grin on my face. And I know I shouldn't. And, and, you know, not because I want Jackson to be a bully or hurt other kids. And I feel for that other kid, like what a horrible third day of school he had. But I remember when I was in kindergarten, my first day of school, um, same kind of situation. We were outside playing and my mom told me that I was running around with my arms straight out and I clotheslined a kid and just leveled him. And it was my first day. And I got put into timeout and I was just laughing to myself thinking, you know, of course my son would be fighting on his third day, but at least he made it to the third day and didn't show, you know, any kind of barbaric tendencies on his first day. So we must be getting a little bit more civilized in the DNA. I just, I sat in the car um, and I laughed about it for like five minutes and then uh, I had to tighten up and get right because I had to message my wife about what he did. But anyway... On with the show for Shotgun Saturdays. I'm going to take a few questions from the community and I'm going to answer them on here for you guys. We will do this every other week just to get some content ideas. And if there is something that sticks out that we want to go deeper into the weeds with, I'll do a full episode on it. But in the meantime, let's get on with the show. So the first question that I was asked was, what size shorts do you wear? And is everything okay at home? Now, the, the latter part of this question needs a little bit of explanation. So, um, a few years ago, there was a couple at my gym. And unfortunately for them, things in the relationship ended pretty badly. So, they broke up or whatever. And, you know, this, when, when gym couples sometimes break up, you know, one partner gets to stay 
and the other one ultimately has to hit the road. It's not always like this, but you know, if things end on bad terms, it's kind of the nature of the beast. Well, anyway, things ended for this couple badly and the girl stayed and the guy got the boot. But he had all of his stuff at the gym still. His duffel bag, his his weightlifting belt, his wraps, his shoes. And, you know, the girl had no intention of returning any of it. So, essentially, it was up for grabs for the existing members. So, some people walked into the gym that next day. And one person left with a new pair of shoes. One person left with a new gym bag. Weightlifting belt. It was great. Like a bad thing turned into a great thing. So... Now, we have this ongoing joke. If we see something that we like on another member, you know, a shirt, a pair of shorts in this case, we always ask them if everything is okay at home in their relationship. You know, just in case things get kind of rocky, we can call dibs on some items of interest, so to say. So this question um, is in relation to my shorts on the post. And first off, yes, everything is okay at home. Uh, secondly, I will say that I am very picky about my shorts because I am built oddly. So most shorts don't function on me like they should. So when I find a good pair, I like to go ham on them and get them in as many colors as possible. Uh, and the pair of shorts that this person is asking about in my photo is from a company called Ruka. R-V-C-A, pronounced Ruka. Uh, and the pair that I'm wearing is called the Yogger, like, you know, Jogger, but with a Y. And it's probably my favorite pair of shorts, mostly because it's cut above the knee. It uh, resists the ride up better than any other short. You know, I wear anything between a medium and a large. I've got a medium person's waist, but I got a large person's thighs. So it's always um, awkward buying things like shorts. It either fits my waist perfectly and then I'll do like two air squats and my thighs will eat the material so it kind of looks like I'm wearing a thong or the thighs are perfect but my pants could fall off at any time. Either way, guaranteed good time. Um, these shorts are quality so if anyone has similar issues as I do, try these out and let me know what you think. My other favorite pair right now is the Lululemon Surge shorts with the six inch inseam. This thing comes with a nine inch liner, so it kind of gives you that look where the, the compression sticks out a little further than the end of your shorts. Um, and I gotta admit, I'm not a huge fan of liners on any short. They tend to keep the boys a little bit too caged in, and you know, I like a little bit more freedom. So I tend to cut out any liner that comes with the shorts anyway. So in the case of these Lulu shorts, um, I cut out the liner, so they're basically uh, short shorts with a, a six inch inseam, and you just end up showing more thighs anyway, so it's a win-win for everybody. The best part of these shorts is that they come in some pretty gnarly colors. You know, I've got a dark green camo, a light green camo, both are definitely one of a kind, and there's nothing like them out there. So hopefully that answered that question. My next question, is what is one thing you wish you knew as a new coach? Well, quite frankly, um, I wish there was a lot that I knew as a new coach, but I think I could have wasted less time, less energy, um, definitely money, resources, headache, if I had just asked for help when I needed it. But um, I'm very stubborn. Um, I think I'm still a little bit stubborn, but I'm a kind of person that likes to figure things out for himself. So 
I walked through much fire before I learned uh, and decided that the burn started to really hurt. So if you're a new coach, my advice to you is to learn from the people who have been there and done it. You don't have to necessarily take their word as religion, but you should keep in mind the perspective and positions of people who have done it because they have something that you don't have, which is experience. And if you're serious about this career, you got to get some skin in the game. you got to invest in your education, invest in networking and meeting professionals in the field, and ultimately you know, get your hands dirty and get your feet wet. As an add-on, and I, I can't emphasize this enough, is that nobody, nobody owes you shit. What drives me absolutely crazy is sometimes people think that they're worth more than they actually are able to deliver. And you don't just get to have that card in your back pocket. You know, you want to get more clients, you want to get more hours and ultimately make more money, have people take you more seriously or build a reputation as a good coach. You need to earn that. You have to make that happen. Show people that you can do what you say you can do because no effort means no job. Minimum effort gives you at best minimum wage and maximum effort at the very least brings the conversation back to the table. So the best possible scenario that you can set yourself up in is to do your job so goddamn well that you become irreplaceable. As a new coach or as a new anything for that matter, you have to learn to do the little things. No matter how small the task is, own every goddamn thing about your job. If you were asked to scrub a toilet, clean that thing so damn well that the person using it next can see the reflection in it. It's those little things that make a big difference. For me, personally, as an employer, to see someone take initiative and go that extra step, it really does make you stand out. You know, you really want to turn somebody off, get lazy, get complacent, And instead of shooting for the stars, aim that scope at your own feet. It's a great way to become irrelevant. I would rather take the over-enthusiastic, underqualified applicant who is willing to learn and work their ass off versus the person with the stacked resume, all the letters next to their name who can't seem to get out of their own way. There's a book out there called Legacy, and the book is about the winning culture of the New Zealand All Blacks team, one of the most successful teams in all of sport. And they have a cultural mantra that states, everyone sweeps the sheds, which basically means that no single individual is bigger than the team. Everyone's responsible for even the smallest jobs, no matter who you are. When you can gather a group of individuals that can honor this code, you have a very, very powerful team. And within that structure, you as an individual, a new coach, you need to do whatever it is you need to do to pull your weight. You got to show up. You got to show effort before you can show out. Uh, The next question is, what is a decent meal when you are on the go? I'm assuming that this is referring to like a long road trip type of scenario. My usual go-tos, I need a good beef jerky, some dried fruits, mixed nuts kind of combo, just something to keep you grazing behind the wheel so you don't get too hungry. It's hard to get like vegetables and fruits in while you're driving, so I suggest mixing in like a green supplement with your protein shake, put that shit on ice and just sip on it while you're driving. And also, to ensure that you aren't having like the worst foods on the road, 
is to make sure you get a good night's rest the day before your trip. I know some people like me um, <clears throat> tend to pack last minute or some of you guys get kind of restless before you're going on a trip, but just know that that fatigue can make you crave some dirty foods. The other thing you can do is, is scope out what nearby restaurants are on your journey beforehand. That way you can kind of plan your stops and have you know better options versus heading to the nearest gas station for taquitos when you get hungry. But don't get me wrong, like I love taquitos, but they aren't necessarily the best fuel for you. All that being said, if you are someone who travels often, these are just kind of quick tips. But for you, being prepared with you know pre-made meals, you do things like boiled eggs, um, cut up some fruit, all of that could be part of your plan. But if this is like a spontaneous weekend trip that isn't part of a routinely schedule, um, I think personally, part of the road trip experience for me is having those like dirty drop spots. You know, like being able to enjoy some grease that you don't typically have in your schedule is a little bit exciting. So if you're making sure that you're consistently on with your nutrition, having this like one-off day of eating isn't going to kill you. All right, so hopefully that answers your question. On to the next one. Um, how far in advance do you program workouts? If this question is referring to group programming that we do at the gym, um, I typically have a template set out for months at a time, but the actual nitty-gritty details are done on a bi-weekly basis. So especially when you're training for group training, in my experience, the intended stimulus and what you actually get out of it can sometimes be a little bit finicky. So I like to leave room for change if she calls for it. The structure of strength programming is usually solid for weeks at a time. You know, most people in your general population don't need more variety if they're looking to get strong. They need more time under the bar. They need more technical practice, more looks so they can hone in on their technique and clean up their movement patterns. Performance-related goals tend to stretch out for a longer period of time. So whether we're planning to build you know, overall strength, build a base after coming back from a conditioning-heavy phase, or looking to build more technical work into things like weightlifting, strength usually takes precedence in our programming, and it's a staple for what we do, simply because it takes the longest time to build. Conditioning, on the other hand, we can get some great gains and improvement through six to eight week programming cycles. And you know, group training tends to lean into the seasons as well. So in the winter time, when we all tend to go into like hibernation mode and we enjoy more indulgent things during the holiday season, it bodes really well for building strength, putting on muscle, putting on size, typically. And then as the summer rolls around and people are generally looking to lean out, we can put a higher focus on conditioning and work capacity seems to complement the program really well, especially because you can go outdoors, you can enjoy runs, biking, all that fun stuff more readily. So a variable that group training has that individual programming doesn't always have is the fun factor. So yes, programming principles need to be in place so that the program has the highest probability of being successful, but the fun factor in group training is very important. People aren't going to continue doing your program if it's stale and it's boring. Whereas sometimes on like an individual basis, if you have a very directed goal, mastering the mundane might be part of that process. In groups, you need to find that healthy balance that keeps them coming back because at the end of the day, general group programs can only accomplish general fitness as its primary goal. And the program won't work unless somebody's sticking to it. So I like to test the waters 
with programming things such as like mixed modal conditioning pieces. Um, we'll play around with the reps, the set schemes, and find out what people really enjoy and work off of that. That's determined and planned on a bi-weekly basis. Because sometimes you create these like elaborate um, 12 week, 16 week plans and you spend all your time, you know, working out the details only to find out that the community actually hates it. And not in like, I hate this workout, but secretly love it kind of way, but they just don't actually like to do the program. Um, because there's nothing better than coming in during the week and overhearing people talk about workouts that week. It's the best. You know, the beauty of community is that people actually get to connect through these workouts. So as the person programming, that power is in your hands and it's a very delicate art to master. I'm still learning all the time and you know one of my favorite things to do is program. So that being said, having a plan in your head with a strategy for progression um, and giving yourself the necessary wiggle room to be agile and modify is very, very smart for programming. If your coach is literally coming up with the workout on the spot when you show up that day, um, that's not just shitty programming, that's actually a really shitty coach. So hopefully that answers that for you. All right, last question of the day is, how do you make money as a coach? And this question stemmed off of our post the other day about how much people think part-time coaches in the fitness industry make. We had answers varying from slightly above minimum wage to 30K a year, all the way up to 100K a year. And the reality is all of these answers are right because like most jobs, you get what you put into it. And um, in fitness, there is this massive sliding scale for reputable coaches and what they get paid versus like the weekend warriors and what they take home. So there's a reason why big chain gyms turn over trainers like it's going out of style. You know, it's very rare, especially in this city, that people can make a career out of doing personal training or coaching. There are a lot of people who are passionate about fitness. You know, they love to help others. Maybe they experienced the benefits of exercise and had like a life-changing moment tied to exercise that they now want to share with the people around them. And, you know, that's great. But I've said it many times before. That passion alone does not pay the bills. Passion is great for a weekend hobby that you revisit from time to time, but you don't make a career out of it. And that's the problem is you have all these people who want to become trainers out of passion, but there's no long-term plan for them. So how long can you continue to put others' health before your own? I'm not just talking about physical health, but also financial health before you burn out and then stop showing up for your clients and then ultimately stop showing up for yourself. There are very, very few people that I know in our city that have been in the industry as long as I have that are still kicking around. I can count them on one hand. You know, most trainers that I know um, went back to school to do something else or picked up a desk job selling insurance or something because they needed something reliable. And the job of fitness is only as reliable as you are. The mentality of, you know, you only get to eat what you kill is where a lot of people turn around. It's much, much easier to work the nine to five and less stressful to work the nine to five knowing that you have a steady paycheck coming in versus having to hustle every single day to make your way. And fitness is a very tough industry to make money in if you do not love to hustle or do not know how to hustle because not everybody is circuited that way. I personally love it. If I'm not at the top of my game, my family doesn't eat. 
and my team doesn't eat and my clients don't do well. And that for me is enough motivation to be the best at what I do. Other people don't like that kind of pressure and you know that's okay. But if you don't, this probably isn't the job for you to try and make money because this job requires you to be constantly evolving. It's tiresome, you know, it's it's ever changing, so you have to be too. The industry itself is super tough. You know, one, there are no standards here. Anybody could take a weekend cert, become a trainer, and you know, sometimes this pans out really well and sometimes it doesn't. What it does for sure is cause a discrepancy for how fitness is viewed. So you have very low-end services undercutting higher value ones, and the pay scale will reflect that. You know, there was a time where you could do a boot camp for 20 bucks a month, and maybe, you know, this is still out there, which to me is crazy. Like if we take a look at what fitness is supposed to be, the coach, the trainer, they have a responsibility for someone's health and well-being. Like your body is legit in their hands. How do you trust someone with your body for 20 bucks a month? Like, can you imagine having something go wrong with your car, going to the mechanic down the street and he tells you he can fix it for 10 bucks and like a can of Coke and then the other dealership is telling you it's a $2,000 job? Like, there would be some red flags being thrown up there. Um, you would be questioning the service that you're getting. Why is there such a big discrepancy? On one hand, a coach needs to make a good buck for them to care enough because it really doesn't matter how much you care for people if you can't put food on your own table, right? And when it gets to that point, you just won't have that much enthusiasm to put towards something that requires a lot of your energy when you get zero back in return. And that's why you know poorly paid coaches tend to do piss poor jobs because they get to a point where they just don't give a shit anymore. And this is on the gym. Um, this can be on the owner or the business that isn't allowing them the opportunities to be successful. Now on the other edge of the sword, this kind of cuts in the opposite direction, right? As a coach, in order for you to get paid what you want to get paid by your employer or by your clientele, you need to show them you are worth what you were asking for. You know, if you have no testimonials of people you've worked with, if you don't have anyone saying good things about you when you're not around, if you aren't constantly trying to make yourself better and work in the right direction toward mastery, ain't nobody going to pay you shit. You know, this industry isn't like a, a pay-as-you-go kind of relationship. Sometimes you need to put a lot of work in at the beginning before you see any of the benefits. So you spend a good portion, especially at the beginning of your career, just planting seeds. And if you are not patient enough and you're not diligent with your approach, this job is not going to be cut out for you. Um, I'm telling you, you will make a little bit of money and then you're going to bounce. Each person on my team right now has gone all in. They all had other jobs, part-time gigs, whatever it was they were doing. And when they finally decided to go all in and quit whatever else they were occupied with, that's when they started making real money. That's when the job turned into a career and when taking their passion turned into a profession. So if fitness is truly what you want to do, think about it, like why spread yourself thin? You don't see the mechanics who are also dentists on the weekend or surgeons who also do accounting on the side. You pick your craft and then you master the shit out of it. You strive to become the very damn best at what you do. So all of that extra energy that you have is put into making you a better coach. That's how you get clients. That's how you get paid. That's how you make a difference for people. 
And for us as a brand, that's how you stay on the team. A good coach will seize every opportunity to get better at their craft. A good gym will give them as many of those opportunities as possible. You need this relationship for either of them to be successful. A gym doesn't benefit from shitty trainers and good trainers don't get anywhere with a system that fails to allow for growth. We will have half of our trainers making over 70K by the end of the year with the rest of them closing in on doing the very same. And this didn't happen by accident. They work their asses off and they make a difference for a community every single day. They are ambassadors for a brand that I've spent over 12 years of my life creating. So if you're an aspiring coach out there, what you need to do is find a team that you believe in. Think about what your core values are and find a brand that matches that. And then you've got to put the time in. You know, don't tell people that you work hard, show them. Because your actions are going to speak much louder than your resume ever will. And be someone who can make a difference and bring value to the table. I tell our team all the time, I don't care how well we are doing. I need everybody to stay hungry all the time. I want to sit at a table with wolves where if you've earned yourself a seat, it means that you are not afraid to hunt. And in this industry, you determine your own success. And like my old university professor used to tell me, you know, whether you pass or you failed, you earned it. So Workhorse Nation, that's all I have for you today. Um, thank you guys for tuning in. Let's have a great start to the week. If you're just sitting there, get your ass up and move. We've got a little time and plenty of work to do. I will see you guys on the next one.